Welcome, and thank you for listening to Muskegon History and Beyond with the Lakeshore Museum Center. My name is Pat Horn, and I'd like to introduce Jackie Huss, Program Manager at the museum, who will be bringing us today's episode, titled, Jonathan Walker, The Man with the Branded Hand. Jonathan Walker, known as the Man with the Branded Hand, had a long history as a ship's captain who aided slaves escaping the South before he retired to the Lake Harbor area of Muskegon after the Civil War. Walker was born near Cape Cod, Massachusetts in 1799. He went to sea in 1816. In 1818, at only 19 years old, he fell ill while at sea and was put ashore on an island in the Indian Ocean where he spent 21 days recovering in a bamboo hut. Over the next 15 years, Walker became a strong abolitionist. In 1835, he joined with Benjamin Lundy in colonizing fugitive slaves in Mexico. Lundy, a northern journalist, was among the first crusaders against slavery. Off and on over the next nine years, Captain Walker sailed the waters of the Gulf Coast, assisting escaped slaves in a 12-ton whaleboat he built himself. At one point in 1836, his ship grounded on the Mexican coast, and he was robbed and wounded by pirates. In June of 1844, he agreed to take seven runaway slaves from Florida to the Bahamas by ship. The slaves were soon discovered missing, and a reward was posted for their capture, along with the capture of Walker. The court document declaring him a fugitive gave the following description. Jonathan Walker is from or about Cape Cod or Nantucket, where he has a wife and several children, from whom he is said to have been absent about two years without any apparent necessity. He is a man of a large frame about six foot high with dark hair and dark complexion, a suspicious countenance, slouchy person, stooping shoulders, and a swinging rolling gait is lame in one arm from a gunshot wound, as he says received from robbers on the coast of Mexico, where he was trading some years ago in a small sloop. The same document, which was an account given by the slave owners, goes on to say, On Saturday he was beating down the bay, and that night the Negroes disappeared, and neither Walker, nor the boat, nor the Negroes have seen here since. Excepting that Silas and Harry were seen recognized by some servants very late, say 11 o'clock, passing down a street toward the Navy Yard. And Leon was seen by Monroe and Jacob in his quarters at the yard two hours before day on Sunday morning. The slaves taken most of their clothes and largely of their winter as if going to a northern climate. From these and circumstances the belief exists that said Jonathan Walker carried these slaves off in his boat. Walker fell ill during the voyage, and the ship drifted for several days until it was taken in tow by a salvage sloop. Walker was put ashore at Key West and placed under arrest for aiding escaping slaves. Bail was set at $10,000. Unable to raise such a high bail, Walker stayed in jail in Pensacola until he was brought to trial before the Superior Court of Escambia County in November of 1844. He was still quite weak from his illness and was chained in a cell with no bed, chair, or other comforts. This letter to his wife details it quite well. From Pensacola, Florida, July 29, 1844. Dear wife and children, 
I am privileged by the mercy of God the Father of writing to you once more, but not in the situation I should choose. About the time of my last letter, I had arranged to take some passengers to Nassau, New Providence, a British island eastward from Cape Florida. On the 23rd of June, I started with seven colored people, though quite unwell as I had been for two days. On the sixth day out, I did not expect to live another 24 hours. My disease being intermittent fever and internal canker, and such hot weather I never in my life saw before. We proceeded down the coast till July 8th, when we were overhauled by a wrecker, the sloop Catherine, from Key West, and by force taken to that port. Then I was carried before a justice of the peace, and thence to a jail, where I was kept four days. Then I was put down into the hold of a steamboat, among rubbish and filth, the heat being extreme, placed in heavy irons both hands and feet, and kept six days, in which time the vessel steamed to Pensacola. There I was taken to court, and from thence again to jail, where I am now secured to a large ring bolt by a chain made of half-inch iron, with a shackle around my ankle, which weighs five pounds. Jane, what will become of you and the children? I have lost all of the little I had here, and am confident that at this time you and the children are in want. Send to Fall River and get the little money due there, and do as well as you can. The Lord Jesus has been abundantly good to me in my affliction, and I am sure he will accompany me through, for I cannot let him go. Dear wife and children, trust in him to aid you. To his aged parents he simply wrote, Oh dear old father and mother, do not worry about me. I am in good spirits and shall weather the storm. Walker was convicted and sentenced to one hour in the public pillory to be pelted with rotten eggs, one year in prison for each of the seven slaves involved, a $600 fine for the lost work time of each slave, court costs, and finally, a branding on the right hand with a readable double S signifying slave stealer. A special branding iron had to be constructed for the unusual punishment. Several blacksmiths refused, but eventually one agreed to make the proper tool. Walker was returned to the courtroom for the branding. His right hand was tied to a low rail at first, but when spectators complained that they could not see, the hand was tied to a pillar above his head. U.S. Marshal Ebenezer Dorr held the hot iron against the base of Walker's hand for 15 to 20 seconds. According to those present, the branding made a sizzling sound. In letters to his granddaughter, he wrote, The United States Marshal for the Western District of Florida, an old acquaintance of mine from the state of Maine, took me in charge and provided me with snug quarters, heavy irons, and a hard floor to lie and sit upon in the city jail, for which he charged me $25 rent. It was in front of the courthouse on the west side of Polaflex Street, directly up from the wharf, where your grandfather was fastened in the U.S. pillory for one hour and pelted with rotten eggs, and then taken into the courthouse and branded with the SS branding iron after passing through the form of a trial in the United States court four months after my incarceration in the Pensacola jail. 
Had any of my friends seen me in the first few weeks of my imprisonment, they would have hardly recognized me, and in fact, I could hardly recognize myself. My sickness and the severe treatment I receive reduced me very near to a skeleton. Many a time have I grasped round my leg, above the knee joint over my trousers, with one hand so as to meet thumb and finger. The hungry and thirsty mosquitoes try hard to draw a little support from the emaciated form of the prisoner to but little purpose. Their bills were harmless so far as the pain was concerned, nor did they get much reward for their labor. Notwithstanding the eleven long and tedious months that rolled around and found me chained up in solitary confinement, joyful expressions of sympathy met me there from various parts and directly around me. And when your grandfather left the abode of suffering and disgrace, he left a respectable man, even then, for it was abundantly evident that the act for which he was punished was performed under the best of motives, to deliver the oppressed from the hands of the oppressor. After the punishment, Walker was returned to prison. His family and friends in the North began to work for his release. Appeals were made to the governor of Florida, beseeching him to intercede on Walker's behalf. Through negotiations, the fines and prison times were reduced. In May of 1845, the amount of $600 was paid, affecting Walker's release. For the next 18 years, Walker traveled around the country giving speeches on abolition and using his hand to shock the audiences. Once the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, he settled in to a quiet retirement in the Lake Harbor area of Muskegon County on a small fruit farm. Walker died on April 30, 1878, and is buried in Evergreen Cemetery in Muskegon. Noted abolitionist and U.S. Navy chaplain, Reverend Photius Fisk, paid for his monument, which has the carving of the branded hand on one side, and an 1846 poem written about Walker by John Greenleaf Whittier on the other side. Then lift that manly right hand, bold plowman of the wave, its branded palm shall prophesy salvation for the slave. In a letter to Fisk about the upcoming ceremony, abolitionist leader Frederick Douglass wrote, Yes, I knew Jonathan Walker and knew him well knew him to love him and to honor him as a true man, a friend to humanity, a brave but noiseless lover of liberty, not only for himself but for all men, one who possessed the qualities of a hero and martyr and was ready to take any risks to his own safety and personal ease to save his fellow men from slavery. He went on to say Walker's name should be remembered alongside men such as John Brown and Abraham Lincoln, among others. He finished with, Looking into his simple, honest face, it was easy to see that on such a countenance as his no trace of infamy could be made by stocks, stripes, or branding irons. S.S. meant at the South, slave-stealer, but was read by the North, and all civilized men everywhere as slave savior. His example of self-sacrifice nerved us all to more heroic endeavor in behalf of the slave.
In August of 1998, the Granite Memorial was refurbished and rededicated in a ceremony that attracted a number of descendants of Jonathan Walker. At the same time, a separate monument to his wife Jane was also unveiled. Jonathan Walker's legacy will live on through the stories of his heroic actions in the fight to end slavery and by the monument built to him in his adopted hometown of Muskegon, Michigan. Before we end today, just a quick programming note. Due to the response we've had to the podcast and us figuring out more logistically, I can now say for sure that we will be bringing you a new episode every month. We will also be releasing episodes on a set schedule, with the first Wednesday of the month being our release date. As always, please subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date, and follow the museum on Facebook at Lakeshore Museum Center to see what other exciting things are happening. 